So good morning. My name is Matthew Rojek. I'm one of the elders here. I'm going to set my timer, and we're going to get going. Let's open up in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord, and we are grateful. We are grateful that we sing your praise. You've given us opportunity to do that with our breath that you've even given us, Father. Thank you that you call us sons and daughters, and we call you Abba Father. Thank you that your word is life, Lord, and you've given us the gift of communication. Lord, may it be pleasing and holy before you. Lord, I just want to double up on Jonathan's prayer. Lord, we lift up Eric. May he be bold in his presentation. Father God, may he be absolutely full of your Holy Spirit, led and guided to speak the truth in love, to exhort, encourage, and edify the body where he's speaking at. Father God, ditto for Leon and Rebecca. Lord, as they've probably already been to church, because I think they're ahead of us, uh, Lord, may their day just be full of grace and mercy. Lord, uh, take my words, bless them to the ears and the hearts and the minds of the congregation. Father God, may we set those things aside that trouble us now, that we may hear your word clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, my name is Matthew Rojek. I am the elder, elder at Macav. <laughs> just wanted to get that clear. Uh, along with my wife, we've been down here almost six years. Uh, grateful and thankful for the opportunity to speak to you guys. Today's uh, sermon topic is going to be communication, the problem, the potential, and the process. I think in any and every venue that Betty and I have ever participated in, reading books, listening to tapes, going to premarital counseling seminars, everyone is agreement that every marriage is going to have problems with three areas. Intimacy, you guys know what I mean when I say that, finances, and communication. So we're not going to talk about those others, but just communication, because communication foundationally undergirds those and gives you healthy opportunity for those other two things. And might I say, I I think there's a couple of newcomers here, if there's something I say you guys need clarifying, raise your hand, ask a question. We're cool with that, okay? Just make sure it's pertaining to what we're talking about, if you guys would. Um, So we want to talk about communication specifically in relationship to marriage, but also because of who MacAv is, communication, in my mind, is even more important because of the component of discipleship, where in one-on-one relationships where communication can be very difficult because of the closeness in Mac groups, in Mac life. Because we live in the same zip code, communication is that much more important and potentially delicate. So 90% of communication is clarity in listening. And I want to tell you a joke I heard by Ravi Zacharias to give you an idea what I mean by that. A couple of British sailors get off their boat after a long cruise. They're in a new port. And they go into a pub, and they have a couple of pints, maybe one too many. They walk out of the bar, and London fog has descended. So they're walking around. They can't even see in front of them. And they're saying, man, we are lost. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, they hear a voice, footsteps walking towards them. Unbeknownst to them, it's a lieutenant colonel, the highest-ranking guy in the British Navy. And he comes walking through, and all of a sudden, he breaks through the clouds. And they look at him, and they say, hey, bloke. Can you tell us where we're at? 
And he's all offended because he's a lieutenant colonel. And he says, do you know who I am? And the one guy says to the other guy, man, we are in real trouble. We don't know where we're at, and he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) So what happened there? A breakdown in the communication. Obviously, the words spoken were of truth to the colonel, and they were a different truth to the two sailors. Healthy relationships are not born. They're developed. A lot of times with pain, suffering, hard work, perseverance, determination. All relationships are fostered or hindered by communication. So let's read through uh, James 3, 5, 3, 6. How gr- oh, do we have uh, James, is the pyramid thing come up yet? Okay, so we're going to talk about the problem, the potential, and the process. So I kind of changed the scripture a little bit. We're just going to read James 3, 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a match, lit a piece of newspaper to start a fire. What happens? Woof. Gone in an instance. Unrecognizable. Think about the destruction if I took a match, one little match, and threw it on this pew. Do you know how long it would take for this entire sanctuary to be consumed? That's the idea of what our tongue can do. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat its fruit. Now he's using that as a metaphor. I can't call death upon someone or life upon someone. So it's an expression to give us a, uh, an idea. It's hyperbole where it's so exaggerated. You think death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now I am sure that every one of us here has heard something from a friend, a mom, a sibling, a so-called friend, your spouse, an enemy that has left an indelible etch in your mind, good and bad. I mean, think about when someone's getting an award. What do they say? Want to thank my mom? Man, she told me I can do anything. Or someone in jail. Yeah, my dad said I'd never amount to much. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So let's talk about potential. I think we're all in agreement of the validity of the Scripture, the inerrancy of the Scripture, when it talks about the seriousness of our words in communication. Let's talk about the potential. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Think of the potential that just came out in that scripture. Everybody in this body, man, we are different parts of the body. And as we grow under the leadership given to us, we form a unified body that's functioning and yet diverse. To equip the saints, tools have been given. And those tools are the leadership of the church, including those that have been placed over you and I in the discipleship process, in the MAC group process. They are to equip us for good and not for bad. Communication is almost always the vessel used by leadership to growth and the maturation process for us. Whether it's Eric preaching from the pulpit, whether it's him admonishing us or your MAC group leader or your discipler in the day-to-day life of the church or the instructions in the art of being the church. But what happens? Our pride gets ruffled when we're asked to do hard things, when things go against what we think is best for us. When Betty or Martha say to me, Wow, those were harsh words. And I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm the elder elder. And yet their words are truth. I have to swallow my pride. I have to say, forgive me. I have to repent. I have to reconsider only that I'm seeing my perspective in this. If we can just remember, God rules. And the scriptures are so clear that he uses everything for his glory and for your and my benefit. Even our mistakes and foolishness, God is able to turn those for our betterment. Same holds true in marriage. There is a mutual component of submission. Now we know what the scriptures say, that wives are submit to husbands. Amen. We're not going there right now. But what we are talking about is Betty is very skilled in things. Your spouse, your wife is skilled in things. Yikes. Am I still on? Wow. I just came on. They're skilled in things, and I would be an absolute fool not to listen to Betty. This thing fell right off. I'm sorry. I'd be a fool not to listen to her. We're sitting in elders meetings, and guess what? Eric and Leon will listen to what the elders have to say. Now, Eric can overrule us, absolutely. That's his prerogative as a senior pastor. But I'm going to tell you what. When I'm in elders meetings and we're having conversation and communication, there is mutual submission. Next part of the scripture says, building up the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. As we use the scripture, as we use the binder, and as we use the principles inherent in God's word, we're building muscle memory. 
Why do you think we hear the same thing over and over and over from the pulpit? You know, if you guys like sports, what is the one thing they tell you to do? If you're not batting well, you're not shooting the hoops well, you're not hitting the hockey puck right, go back to the basics, start all over. It's repetitive communication of the scriptures through the Holy Spirit, through Eric Russ, through the elders, through your discipler, through Matt Group, that gains this muscle memory. So that when the time comes, when we get knocked on our bottom, we can stand back up because we've got the word of God so planted in our hearts and our minds, we act and not react to the mature, to the full stature of Christ. You know, think about Jesus' words. I mean, think of the spectrum of people he spoke to. Fishermen, Pharisees. And included in that conversation, he consistently had to learn to stand alone. And you and I are going to have to do that as leaders, as disciples, as people, people speaking truth. Others might not like what we say, how we say it, how we deliver it. They might not even like our personality. But we've got to stand alone. Now hear me and hear me well. There are times we need to stand alone, not because we've spoken like an idiot, but because we speak the truth. And there's a fine line here. If you guys remember, I'll never forget this. Three, four, five years ago, Eric Russ was talking and he said, the gospel is offensive enough. Don't add offense to the gospel. By shaming someone, by guilting someone. That's not what that process is. Next part of the scripture, not carried away, cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes. You know, I'm, I get sick to my stomach when I've turned through the TV and I see these evangelistic preachers and they've somehow construed, misconstrued the gospel that if you send in seed money, God is going to help you win the lotteries. I mean, like, I'm, I'm amazed that God does not just come down and strike them. Cunning, crafty, deceitful words spoken by people with their agenda and their baggage to shame you, to guilt you, or to what I call to give or to tattoo you mentally. Don't allow that. They're trying to destroy our identity that's from Christ, not from the words of men. Lastly, we're to speak truth in love, grow in the body in like fashion as Christ who is our head. You know, I want to tell you guys something. uh, We'll talk about this a little bit later, but I was sitting in a meeting one time about four or five years ago with Brian Hogel, and there was a group of people, and there was one person in there that was very upset, and they weren't upset for the right reason. The rest of us were right. This person was wrong and was angry and spitting and spouting. And we were already, man, go. And Brian looked at him and said, hey, help me to understand. I'm missing something. And he just calmly, the rest of us 
get out of here. And Brian asked a question, drew this person back in. Nothing changed. Our opinions didn't change per se. We went ahead with the decision we were going to make. But Brian wooed this guy back into the fold. And it was, I mean, I'll never forget that. It was really, really cool. So we're talking about communication. And it's the act of transferring thoughts and ideas with comprehension being the goal, not necessarily agreement. Comprehension being the goal, not necessarily agreement. As Christians, and again, I'm going to say, and particularly at churches like Mac, not saying Mac's the only one, but churches like Mac, that we're serious about the gospel. Words, communication is exceptionally important. Think of the discipleship component. I'm going to give you guys a quick analogy. In Proverbs it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And let me give you an analogy if you guys don't understand that. When you go to a dentist, does he hurt you or does he harm you? He hurts you, but he doesn't harm you. Why? To prevent harm from becoming an infection. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who might wound you, Betty has wounded me with words, but the reality is she's saying, man, I don't want you to stay in that state of selfishness. It hurts, but she hasn't harmed me for the greater good so that later on down the road, I'm not going to look back and say, now I'm 80 years old and I still pout. Think about the contextual um, consideration we have. You know, I've had two conversations very recently where a couple of people have come to me and said, hey, do you realize that when you use these words, even though you might mean them to mean this, if you're talking in the black context in which we live, Many African Americans are going to hear you differently than what I've spoken. Gave me some great examples. And just like the sailors, the lieutenant colonel said one thing, these guys heard something else. And I need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that because of the context, because of the community that we live in. Theology molds and establishes thoughts and understanding with words being the vehicle of expression that conveys those ideas, concepts, and convictions. I want to read that again. Theology molds and establishes thoughts and understanding with words being the vehicle of expression that conveys those ideas, concepts, and convictions. Why do you think Eric and Leon are so concerned about us having tight theology because of that. Now, let's not confuse that with us all having to have a master's degree in divinity or being able to define and understand double imputation. You know, if you can say, you know what? You're talking to your neighbor. Man, I was blind. Now I see. What are you talking about? I didn't know you were blind. 
Man, I was spiritually blind, yeah. And then, man, somebody shared the gospel with me. I read in the Bible. Okay? So we don't have to be PhDs in theology, but our theology has to be tight. So as we communicate the gospel, whether it's to a Pharisee and we have to speak in that language, you know, Jonathan Demers speaks in those languages because that's his field. That's his brain, the way it works. Alex Bowman, those guys can wrestle with that stuff. The rest of us can say, man, I'm, I was blind. Now I see. I was lost, but I've been found. That's good theology. It's simple theology. So make sure we're clear on that. So let's talk a little bit about the process. So when I think of two people getting married, I think of taking a cat and a dog and throwing them in a small room and saying, have at it. Figure this thing out. Right? Think about all of the factors that go into these two people's lives. Think of the socioeconomic factor. One was born on the wrong side of the tracks. One was born in Bloomfield Hills. Okay? One was, and, and hear, hear me, everybody hear me. I'm not saying good or bad to either. I'm giving you guys some adjectives. Single parent, double parent. Large family, small family. Single, uh, you know, one kid, siblings. Parents, Harvard educated. Parents, Work a blue-collar job. You know, I don't, I don't think Jake and Snea are here. I asked if I could use them. Think about this. Jake goes to Snea. Okay, for those of you guys who don't know, Jake is a white guy. Sneha is Indian. They're married. Just think about this. Jake goes to Sneha's parents' house for food. Okay, they're going to eat a meal. And uh, Mrs. Sneha says, you like your food hot? And he says, yeah, I like it hot. She says, you like it Indian hot? Again, two different things. If she wouldn't have clarified that, and she gives him Indian hot, and he goes screaming to the bathroom, that's communication, right? But again, think about that. Think about that. Again, some people, college is extremely important in their whole family upbringing, and there's no choice. You're going to college. Others, that's not important. Neither of them is right or wrong, but you throw these two people in a room, they're living together, and they got to figure that out? Yikes. And the thing I wanted to say about that, we all speak English, right? We speak the dialect of Rojek or Bowman or Mast and all the underpinnings that go along with that. You like it hot or you like it Indian hot? Still English, right? So we only have our perspective, when Betty and I got married, man, we start talking. I was like, really? You like that? That's the way you do things? And man, there's, there's a merging. There's a molding. There's a trying to figure this thing out as we talk through these things. And if you don't have good com- communication skills, you're in trouble. Now, I, I, I want to say this. Although we are responsible for our words and the tone at which they're spoken the hearer is equally responsible for their discernment, their filtering, and the processing of what's been communicated to them. Using forbearance, giving margin for awkward, stumbling moments. Now, most of you guys know Alvin. For those of you who might not, Alvin was my first discipler, 40-ish-year-old black guy, good buddies, 
we get together periodically and just talk. Many times we talk about race because I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Six months ago, we're talking, and he looks at me and says, bro, you can't say that. What are you talking about? He says, man, you can't say that. Three months later, I said the same thing, and he goes, really? He did, he gave me margin in this road that I'm trying to figure out. Communication. What's proper, what's not in its contextual setting. It's a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. Nobody can make you feel insecure or inferior without you giving them your consent. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. Why? Where is your identity come from? What is your foundational identity? Is it in your parents? Is it in that I can say I came from Bloomfield Hills? Or I've got DR in front of my name or PhD? Or is it because I'm white or because I'm black? Where is I identity come from? Now, I say that, I also say, I understand all of us have baggage, mental baggage, that clouds that identity. But we've got to make sure that we're fighting against that so that these mental tattoos that people want to put on us don't land or we don't give them, we don't give room or grace to those things. Not grace, but we don't give room. And here's the deal, Colossians 3, 10, 11. And have put on the new self. Do you put the new self on every day? Is the first thing you do in the morning, say, man, I'm a child of God? Is the first thing you do every morning, say, man, the the cross has crushed my insecurities, has crushed what my alcoholic father said about me, has crushed... What that teacher said, man, you're never going to amount to anything. Have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, how's it being renewed? Us paying attention to scripture, us listening to our discipler, us listening to Eric in Mac groups, hashing some of this stuff out. That's difficult, difficult conversations that we don't want to hear because our pride gets kicked up but it's for our good even when it hurts. And the end of that scripture says, hey, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, white collar or blue collar, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. James 1.19 exhorts us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I'm going to tell you, basically, from here on out, this is our application, okay? I got no application questions at the end of this, baby. Active listening must start with humility. If I come into this thing thinking I know it all, thinking that my perspective is 100% accurate, I'm in trouble. When we have conversations, please make sure you enter into this thing with a spirit of humility. Man, Continue to like cloak yourself with that mind. 
you know, I don't care how old I am. I'm going to have a discipler as long as I'm at Mac Church, right? I'm the oldest guy here, one of the oldest guys here. And I'm going to have somebody telling me what to do? Baby, I better have a spirit of humility or I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be called to the pastor's office. Simple things, guys. When you're talking and gals, have eye contact. Be attentive. Get rid of distractions. There are times I'm pouring my heart out to somebody or I'm telling them something that's important to me and they're like, they're looking around because they want to go talk to somebody else or something. Man, you know how offensive that is? I just, I quit talking. When they turn back, half the time they, they weren't even realizing that I was talking. And I just realized, praise the Lord, and move on. But it's important to have eye contact and be paying attention. Having an impartial mind whenever applicable. And the reason I put that whenever in, again, most of you guys know, probably been through most of the binder, that one document that talks about principles and preferences. There are principles in the scripture that we are not going to be impartial to because they are black and white. But there are preferences on how we do things. Some people think alcohol is okay. Some people don't think alcohol is okay. We cannot determine that for anybody else because they stand before the Lord and their conviction needs to come from him, not you and I putting a mental tattoo on these people. So whenever you can... Let your mind be impartial so you can hear a different voice other than your own. Like Alvin said, bro, can't say that. Okay. And I said, ability to put puzzle pieces together. And what I mean by that is, man, we are complicated people. And again, all those other adjectives I listed, race, culture, ethnic, socioeconomic, background, Man, those are puzzle pieces that fit into the way that you and I function and interact, make decisions, decide on stuff. And as a discipler, as a husband, as a wife, you got to become a good jugsaw piece putter togetherer. Taking all these different bits, okay? And building, wow, that's who Betty is. Wow, that's cool. You learn something new, you add it to the puzzle. Again, comprehension's the goal. You know, talk is just spewing words. Talking about baseball, talking about color, talking about whatever. Communication's different. We're to be slow to speak. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 just says, man, love is patient. Slow to speak. I tell you, you know, one thing, I, there's one brother at this church who is very articulate and I can't tell you how many times in the middle of conversation I've interrupted him because I'm all like, man, get to the point. And this brother is just really gracious with me. Be slow to speak. One of the reasons is we need to clarify information given by asking questions. I, I think if there's one thing I would ask that you guys would think about and meditate on and, and, and get under your tool belt is the ability to ask questions. Brian diffused a miserable, nasty, anger-filled conversation. Asked a couple of questions. That's all he did. Asked a couple of questions. Got to the heart of the matter. Man, brother, what's... It doesn't sound like we're on the same page. Help me understand what you're trying to say. Guy reformulated the thought. We walked through the rest of the conversation. It's important to clarify the information you're receiving by asking questions.
be aware of presumptions. I think they also call them presuppositions. Again, you got to be careful when you walk in and you're talking to somebody. Don't assume just because they're black, just because they're white, just because they're a doctor, just because they pick up garbage for a living. Whatever it is, man, no assumptions. And then we also have triggers that mess with our attention span and focus. If I'm in the middle of a conversation and someone talks about people driving in the left lane 70 miles an hour, my head explodes because I hate those people. They need to get out of the way. Okay? You guys get the point, right? Thank you. (laughs) So I'm just telling you, realize that we all have triggers. Know what those things are. And when that comes up in a conversation, hold on, settle down, let the Holy Spirit calm you, get back to being attentive, listening, so you can hear the conversation and your focus is not on you. Yesterday morning, Bets and I go to the Eastern Market. Man, and she wanted me to wear makeup today to show how big of a fight we got into. I mean, it was going to be black and blue and red. And she looks at me, she says, it's not about you. I'm talking to you about me. I'd switch the conversation to me, which is probably what I always do, because I'm so important, right? She got you straight. <laughs> Amen. Slow to anger. How dare you talk to me like that? Don't they know who I am? Senior elder, I'm, I'm third in command here, guys. Well, fourth under Ginny. <laughs> right? I don't have to listen to them. I know their baggage. How dare they talk to me like they know what's going on? I know the sins they commit. Oh, my gosh. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us. Refuse to let emotions take control of the conversation. I mean, I think we already hit that one pretty well. Matthew 18, I've got written down the forgiven steward mentality. Uh, I'm not going to read the scripture because I, I want to be cautious on time. Most of you guys know the story. There's a business owner. There's an employee. Employee owes the business owner a million bucks. Owner sends the guy to jail. Going to send him to jail. Employee says, man, please, please, please. I got a wife and kids. Have mercy on me. Owner says, man, okay, I'll forgive you. Cool, I'll give you mercy. What happens? This uh, employee goes to the employee who owns him a nickel, beats him up, scolds him, harasses him. The rest of the employees here go back to the owner, tell him what's going on. Owner calls first employee and says, man, what the heck did you do? I forgave you a million dollars and you're pounding up some guy over a nickel? He says, man, you're going to the torturer. The torturer, I think is in King James, until you can pay it back. What's the point of this? You and I, ah. Megan and I talked about this. I ain't going to do it. You and I have forgiven a debt that hell was the payment. You and I have been forgiven a debt 
that the Son of God himself came down to pay. How dare I judge Edith? Or anyone else for that matter. How dare I? This employee was forgiven a million dollars and he griped about a nickel. We might not think our sin is as bad as somebody else's, but let me tell you, it is. Same price had to be paid for yours. So let's hang on. Okay, reflective listening. Reflective listening is the art of clarification. It combines the skills of listening, discernment, and asking questions to make clear the actual meaning so that all understand the ideas presented. It does not mean that we are all in agreement to the validity or truth of the idea. And it should, when necessary, include a reiteration back to the originator of the idea so that they feel confident in being understood. I want to read that again. It combines the skills of listening, discernment, and asking questions to make clear the actual meeting so that all understand the ideas presented. It does not mean that we're all in agreement to the validity or truth of the idea, and it should, when necessary, include a reiteration back to the originator of the thought so that they feel understood. That might not always be necessary. There's times, excuse me, Betty and I talk, man, same page. I, I don't need to reiterate back to her. But there's times where she'll say something, oh, man, don't get it. Help me understand. And we'll like massage this thing a little bit, and we'll repeat it back to each other. I keep telling you, questions are oftentimes the keys because they allow us a number of things. First and foremost, to say, hey, Ian, I heard you say that you hate so-and-so. And Ian said, no, 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 you misunderstood me. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ticked, but I, I, I'm okay. I, I, I just needed a vent. I don't need to scold Ian. I don't need to rebuke Ian. As I ask questions, I draw that out of him, and he recognizes that you can't hate. He knows the scriptures. It gives us time to ponder what's been said. As we ask questions, we can, like, okay, we get more clarification, more information. This thing begins to massage to full thoughts. It allows God to subdue our emotions. We kind of hit that one up. Gives us the opportunity to listen for the Holy Spirit. And very often, it lets the speaker come to their own healthy conclusion or even to just be heard without us assuming that we got to fix them. When people come to you, they're not always looking necessarily for answers. Probably they know the answers, but if you can figure out how to draw it out of them, that's a healthy discipler. That's a healthy husband, a healthy wife. I think the epitome of reflective listening is found in Mark 12, 28 through 34. If you guys remember this, basically a scribe comes walking up and he hears Jesus arguing and debating with some scribes and Pharisees. The scribe wants to jump back in, jump in and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus spits the commandment out. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. I mean, real eloquent. What happens? This guy repeats it back, not in parrot style, where he memorized what Jesus said and spewed that thing back. But what he did was he showed Jesus very clearly, man, I heard exactly what you said. God is great. 
He's the creator of everything. I need to worship him and because man's made in his image, I got to love this guy. That's not what Jesus said, but it is what he said. Do you guys, I mean, do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus spoke something. This guy understood it. And in his own personality, and his own flavor, his own theology-ish, he reiterated back to Jesus what Jesus said. What does Jesus say? Man, you are close to the kingdom, brother. That's reflective listening. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, Counsel is in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Very often I have a difficult time divining my thoughts into understandable sentences. Betty has done a great job asking questions that draw out the hidden things of my heart. Oftentimes when I've asked her counsel, all she does is ask questions, not even stating her opinion until I come to the conclusion myself. You know, guys, I've told you that she's the CEO of Upper Level Graphics, my business. I call her all the time. Hey, babes, got to make a decision here. What do you think? Question. 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 I say, thanks, babes. Talk to you later. I mean, she didn't tell me what to do. She asked questions. Help me clarify it. I'm going to leave you with a couple of things. We got the dogs and spiders and that up there yet? Okay. So... Kind of quickly, my father died when I was nine, alcoholic, committed suicide. When he died, I had no feeling of grief. I had no emotion. I mean, he abused us. I didn't know him. I didn't really care that he died. When Betty's dad died, it was like a month after our son James was born. And Betty's, man, beside herself, weeping, crying, freaked out. My dad's gone. My dad's gone. He died suddenly. It wasn't supposed to. He was coming home from the hospital. And she's trying to get me involved in this thing emotionally so that I can comfort her. She said, man, you got nothing for me? Well, yeah, got nothing. She said, like, well, haven't you had, like, what, like a pet die or something? And I'm all, well, you know what? When I was 13, my dog died. And I loved that dog. And I immediately tasted a bit of what Betty was going through. Now, don't judge me because I didn't have it for my dad, okay? But I did for a dog because that thing was my pal. And immediately, there was an emotional connection that I understood. Wow, okay, if I can feel that way about a dog that I cried for a week, oh, man, Bets, forgive me. I'm a fool that I wasn't able to help you process your sorrow with your dad. There are going to be times that you need to make some kind of emotional connection where your spouse, where your discipler, where whoever you're talking to needs to know that you've made that connection. Find something, if it's not the exact parallel, find something in that venue where you can taste the bitterness, or the joy for that matter, of what they're tasting. So that's one principle. Second principle, spiders and snakes. I'm terrified of spiders. Betty has to kill him. Okay? 190 pounds, six foot, spider. Betty's got to kill him. (laughs) Betty is terrified of snakes. I've had snakes. We used to literally, I'd let them wrap around my heads. I'd put them down my shirts. We'd let them run around our house, literally. Betty allowed them to run around the house after she got over a little bit. Here's the point. 
One time, 25 years ago, I want to make a point to Betty. There's a snake in our garage. So I say, Betty, come here, come here, come here. There's a snake in the garage. I want to show you something. Hop on. Hops on my back. I go walking into the garage. Snake's here, and I walk towards him. And what does he do? He runs away. He runs away. Now, did that immediately heal Betty of snake fear? Did she jump off and go grab them? Of course not. Why? Emotion almost always wins over logic because it's illogical. Me hating spiders? Come on, you know, I mean, it's stupid. They're not going to hurt me. Betty afraid of snakes. I let them wrap around my head. So what that has done for Betty and I is when Betty is experiencing an emotion or I am, I got an email that somebody was mean to me and I'm talking to Betty and she's all, Really? Like you're going to get upset about that? I say, spiders and snakes. Immediately she understands it doesn't matter whether she thinks that I should be hurt or upset or whatever about this thing. Fear and worry take over and it confounds logic. Now, we all know when you put scripture on top of that that you cancel the whole thing out, but we're talking communication here and we're talking the reality of the world that we live in. Again, I'm not discounting scripture, but I want to give you guys that tool so that when you look at your spouse or, again, whoever, and you say, like, man, you like, geez, well, Pete, you're going to let that bug you? Man, realize you got the same baggage in a different area, spiders and snakes. And then lastly, um, you know what? I think I'm just going to stick with that. Uh, I, I'll give you one more. So uh, our first house that we had, uh, older house, we would periodically have water come in the basement, okay? I didn't think it was a big deal. Year after year, after year, after year, after year, after year. Betty hated it. She'd freak out. So literally, there was a time when um, some water came in the basement, and she literally came to me, and she said, permission to run away, sir. I'm all, really? She's all, yeah, really. Literally, she grabbed her sewing machine, went up to her mom's cabin up north for like three days. Again, what's the point? Didn't bother me. It did bother her. Pay attention to your spouse. Give them the grace in that area, okay? So again, reflective listening is the application that I'd love to leave with you. Ask those who know you, do you listen well? You know, I don't want to sick you guys on Brian. (laughs) Brian knows how to ask good questions. (laughs) I mean, he does. In discipleship, he draws stuff out of me even with doing that. So I'd really encourage you guys, consider what I said because of marriage, because of discipleship, between the context of the black and white racial divide that we live in, that on a daily basis we're having to work and walk through. So let me close in prayer. What we're going to do afterwards is we're going to uh, take an offering.